0: Welcome to Inside Whitehall with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. Today in Inside Wire, we're going to look at business's relationship with politics. Where do the two meet? Does a good businessman make a good politician? When does business need politics and vice versa? And when do they sometimes conflict? And to do that, we've got a fantastic guest today in the MP for Meriden, Saqib Bharti. Welcome, Saqib. Hi, everyone. Saqib was the youngest, if I'm right, ever elected president of the Birmingham Chamber of Commerce. Yep the first Muslim to do so, uh, and being elected in 2019, then went on to become Sajid Javid's PPS during the time at Health, and then crucially for this episode, Conservative Vice Chair for Business, and is now Minister for Tech and uh, Digital and AI. Uh,
1: Digital Economy, yeah.
0: Corrected me, thank you. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. It's really really nice to be here on the, the famous Inside Whitehall podcast.
0: Well, it's it is much talked about. Um, famous or infamous we haven't decided famous or infamous well much like you Jonathan (laughs)
1: Um,
0: the first question we always start with Sakeeb, is why did you get into politics I'm always interested as well Mm. as when so we've had quite a few people on who from the age of 17 or 18 probably knew they maybe wanted to be an MP Um, some I think we interviewed Matt uh, um, Matt Warman from the One Nation group who actually said he would never really wanted to until much later in life but when did you decide you wanted to become an MP, get into politics, and what was your driving force for that?
1: Well, I think for me, I um, had a evolutionary journey uh, into politics. And if I look back now, when I was at school, I set up the Schools Politics Society, which was really, really successful. But I did it uh, because I thought there was a gap and it needed doing, rather than because I thought I wanted to be an MP. Um, it was only after... Uh, I went to university, graduated and got involved in the, in what I call the Birmingham business scene. Um, and I just started to do really well. I was a young guy, you know, uh, had ideas and just started to get involved. Um, that suddenly all of a sudden politics became a reality for me. And I think uh, James, you and I met back in 2016, early 2016. Yeah. I just decided I was going to get involved with the, uh, with the vote leave referendum. Uh, I was a Brexiteer. I'd, I'd always thought our place in Europe was just. Uh, you know, we, d- we weren't, it didn't do us, uh, justice. You know, I didn't understand the, the, why we gave up our sovereignty like we did. Um, and I didn't understand why we can do free trade deal agreements. And so, uh, just before I met you, I'd met Lord Hannon. uh, who, he was Daniel, Hannon. he was at Dan and he was an MEP and he'd come up to me and said, are you going to get involved? uh, in, uh, in the Brexit referendum. Um, and he said, we need good voices. I've heard you speak. I know you're very passionate about your country. And I think there's a, there's a space for you to talk about this. Um, and I hadn't really considered it until uh, he asked me the question. And I thought I went away, did my own research and I thought, actually, I think I can do something. Um, and then in 2016, early Jan, we launched something called Muslim for Britain, um, Mm -hmm. 14th of January. Which was the actual day I met James Starkey for the first time <laughs> in person. i uh, in person. At the oh, Hyatt, I came Hyatt, up to Birmingham.
2: Yeah, in the Hyatt yeah. Hotel uh, in Birmingham. It shows one impression he made, for the fact you remember it, oh, it was so. it
1: was very memorable. And uh, we uh, I, we did this launch, and it was about seventy business people in Birmingham yeah. above uh, a restaurant in Birmingham. And I thought, let's just see what happens. And we could launch Muslims for Britain. So we wanted Mus- British Muslims. Uh, and ethnic minorities to have a voice in the Brexit referendum uh, we knew immigration was going to play a huge role in this so we, we wanted to do that um, and uh, but a month later James I don't know exactly a month later on Valentine's Day uh, I had no Valentine's Day uh, but I I was on <laughs> Is this uh, when James
2: Starkey was on Valentine's Day it was the- not, like, I couldn't
1: find him that day uh, but we uh, we went national uh, and I was on the Murnahan show uh, talking about um, Muslims for Britain um, and uh, I just kept doing media and I just you know I kept getting involved in the politics of things um, and I was very keen, and I've spoken to Dan about this, And so we're going to lead a very honest uh, and open-minded campaign uh, about what Brexit looks like for British Muslims. Um, and uh, a month after that, or about two months after that, a uh, Stewart, who was the MP for edge Bastard at the time, Brilliant, okay. uh, who I knew, um, basically said, why don't you come onto the National Board of Eight Leave? Uh, which was, again, a huge privilege to do so. Um, and, uh, you know, I was straight stuck in, you know, into the cut and thrust of what was going on. Mm. Um, and I think that's when you and I really started working.
0: We spoke almost every the, day. Almost
1: every day, I think. Um, uh, and so if you'd ask me, you know, re- come referendum night, we I was uh, tasked with handling all the media. Uh, in, in the account in, in the counter night yeah. at the ICC in Birmingham. And, you know, it was a well it was a great night for us uh, <laughs> I, I do remember, remember
0: that night quite well yeah I,
1: yeah I re, and then, well I, I remember leaving Spermingham uh, declared quite late yeah and i remember leaving on uh, my office was on broad street and i li- remember leaving uh the icc in uh, broad street uh, about six o'clock in the morning and the sun was shining and the cleaners had come out because you know it was a big it's a big nightclub spot and the cleaners <laughs> were cleaning up from the night before and i just looked around thinking oh my god we've changed the world mm. uh, and that was actually the words very corny came out of my mouth uh, at the time. Um, and I went home and if you'd asked me then, I thought I, you know, I thought I could see politics on the horizon. That's what I was
0: going to ask you. So at that point, if I'd have said to you in three years from now, yeah, you'd be a member of parliament thereabouts, what would you, would that I would probably,
1: been- probably look to you and said, I can see it in my future potentially, but you know, I'm running a business. I'm enjoying it. I'm probably about 10 years away. Um, but what changed then was, uh, straight after, I mean, that was 2016 and I, um, because I was involved in the business community, um, I was on the let board with Andy Street. Um, and I was involved in about eight or nine other things. I, I basically went to see Andy that summer and said, you have to stand for mayor.
0: Um, Did you get on with Andy already? Uh, how is that when you first so, got uh, to meet Andy? The Andy relationship started. it's quite important in your journey, Andy. Uh,
1: hugely important. So I think Andy met me for the first time in 2012 or 2013. And I was president of something called the Asian Chamber of Commerce. There were about, uh, And I was at the annual dinner giving a speech in front of 700 people. And he heard me give that speech. It, and then, then he came up to me at the end and he said, I'd like to see you. And, you know, he's the head of John Lewis. Hmm. I run a relatively small business, compared to you know, definitely compared to John Lewis, but just generally. <laughs> Don't do yourself uh, down. Yeah, just being honest. Um, and he came, he, he said, and he wanted a meeting. So I went to see him and he said, look, I want good, uh, you know, uh, a really credit to the man he you know he just said i want good people who are passionate about uh the the area they live in uh and i want them around the table and so all of a sudden uh i basically went through the process and became a director on the local enterprise partnership and you've got people well you've got the head of john lewis you've got heads of universities colleges all that and then you have got little old Sakibati who you know advises you know entrepreneurs and family businesses M- massively important but you know, I, I, if I ever had imposter syndrome in my life, mm. it was probably that first, uh, let board, but the great thing about Andy was he, you know, he just, he just, he's a great spotter of talent, if I may say so myself. Uh, but he, he, p- <laughs> he picks people regularly, he's very, very good at giving people platforms and he's very, uh, I think it's been a key to his success. Actually, he's a great eye for talent. Um, so fast forward to 2017 and I just said to him, can you possibly, cause obviously Sean Simon's name was ringing around at the time. I said, can you actually consider anyone else taking credit for all the work you've done? you basically in the space of seven years. And seeing it through. And seeing it through, because he'd reunited and given Birmingham an identity. Um, And I wasn't the only one, and people were talking to Andy. I could see he wanted to do it, but it's a big, big call, Mm. right? Um, uh, So, but when he finally came out, I was basically one of the first business people to endorse him publicly. Um, And business people don't like sticking their head above the parapet. Yeah. They they obviously have very strong political opinions. They you know, they'd love uh they have all sorts of arguments of where they think government should go. But they like don't like doing that. But I did it. Um and I'd already cut my teeth on the Vote Leave campaign. So I had a good understanding of what a good campaign looks like, what you need to do, the discipline that's required. Uh and then I I just started helping Andy out. And then when he won um at, in on the referendum night, I was just exhausted. On Andy's night I cried. Uh, really? Uh, yeah, because we, you know, as such a huge city. We won by, I think, a margin of three and a half thousand. I mean, we gave, gave it everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he was not, you know, we weren't, you know... We weren't friendly, the favourites. Like,
2: you were getting everyone. No, no one thought no, we would win yeah. that.
1: And so two years in a row, we were, you know, 2016, we, you know, uh, come polling night, we were told we were going to lose the referendum. Commandy's election, we were never going to win that, we were told. Mm. Uh, you know, Labour were pretty arrogant in the way they dealt with it um uh, and the way they dealt with communities whereas andy was super humble wanted to go and meet everyone uh and get involved um and then we won that and then so 2017 i thought mm, brexit still hasn't been done it was there was a lot of uh what i can only describe as chaos really you know mm. and people were getting pretty upset about what's going on you know why, why the politi- politicians couldn't get their act together uh so i probably at that point thought i was oh, you never know i might be five years away uh, cuz i thought you know i could probably spend a bit more time in my business and then i'm probably going to have to make a decision um but then you know other things happened over the next couple of years progress wasn't being made boris came in and then come october 19 i was on the candidates list by this point uh, so i'd made that judgement that get on there because you just don't know when an opportunity might come um and come october 19 um uh, it, well it was the 1st of october 19 when i met uh, when I went to conference, uh, I met my wife uh, I, I remember it very clearly that conference uh, yeah, I knew her from before, mm. but uh where we uh, where I, she argues this was a business meeting. I thought it was a date um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we sat down uh that this argument that happens a lot in our uh, yeah. in our household, but uh, we sat down uh, and uh we, at that point, I didn't have a seat um, and basically uh, Meriden came up a few weeks later uh, and I think 5th of November I was a candidate. Um, and, you know, we were in by-election rules. Um, and obviously I had the selection. By-election, just, so by-election by election rules,
0: rules are a specific way of selecting. Yeah, by-election rules are, you're
1: very close to, to an, an election. election. Um, and they, CCHQ effectively imposed three candidates.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've touched on the business stuff with, uh, yeah. with an- Andy's, Andy's an exemplar. Yeah. Of a successful businessman Who's become, I think, unarguably, whatever you think of him, a successful politician. He's won elections. He's done done a lot of stuff. But let's start with you personally. So, you were president of the Chamber of Commerce. Mm. When you started to go into politics, you, you mentioned business people don't like to stick their head above the parapet because because why why'd you say that? Because yeah, there's risk or, or what's the reason that 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 happens? I, well, look, I suppose
1: if you're running a business, you know, if you were my client. Do I, you know, I I was an accountant. Do I care what your politics are? Mm. Not really, right? Where I'm trying to sell you a product. And every time I sell you a product or a service, it's a relationship. And so we want to be able to connect. And if I start putting my head above, above the parapet uh, and start, you know, uh, going on political kind of, rants or political campaigns or whatever you might not be of the same view and you might think oh, actually he's not the guy i want to do business with so i think business people generally like to stay out of it mm. i also think by the way there is a uh just because someone is a very very good business person it does not make them a, uh, a good politician mm. and uh, i'm sure you've seen it i've seen it uh politics is a very strange beast right uh where the things take time sometimes it happens that you're building relationships like you do in business uh, but you know, in business, there's an end game, right? There's a, will you buy this product? or Will you buy the service? And if it's a yes or a no, and if it's a no, we move on and you know, we might do business again one day. Uh, but if it's a yes, we, there's an exchange in politics. It's a, it's a much, much trickier beast and you have to build a consensus. Mm. Sometimes you have to build up public opinion and, uh, have a crescendo and you might do everything you need to do, do. And then ultimately there's no result at the end of it.
0: Well, I remember I spoke to a guy that, um, runs a private equity firm. And we were talking about something in, when I was in government and said, you know, we wanted to do this and we found it difficult because essentially the civil service didn't want to do it. And the private equity guy, the private equity guy turned around and said, well, if they did that in my company, I would just sack them. Because mm. if I said, this is what we're doing, and they were like, no, we don't really want to do that. I'd say, well, you, you know, you're going to have to go and get another job. And I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't do that <laughs> in government. And it was, um, it's an extreme example. Mm. But I, to me, it was one of the, when I was, I remember having this chat with this guy. And it was one of the things where I think sometimes business people can struggle in politics because the. but that's what I'm kind of interested in. So you're a business person who's gone into politics. You're close friends with another business guy who's gone into politics. What's the skill set? What is the skill set in business that is good for politics? What are the things you can take across?
1: Uh, Relationship building is a huge one, really. I think you have to build relationships. If you don't do that, um, uh, you know, when I, when I came in in 2019, uh, you know, Jonathan and I both did, um, you're, you're, you know, I'm in a new organization, right? Uh, the first thing I actually thought to myself was, doesn't matter what you've done in the past, right? So 2019 got elected a month later, got a, uh, got an MB in the new year's honors for what I'd already done. Um, and actually, um, I, you have, you, you know, you have to earn your stripes all over again, right? And if you're a business person you come in and you say, no, um, uh you know I've done all this in business and therefore I deserve this and I should be around the cabinet table mm. it's just not going to work right it's uh you have to build your credentials politics is a completely different way you have to understand the DNA of the party uh, and you have to understand what makes people tick uh where your allies are uh, uh you know and you might be an ally on one thing but a com- you know on a completely different issue you'll have a completely different point of view mm. uh, and that person may not support you but, you know it doesn't mean they're disloyal it's just they've got a different uh, uh purpose. Uh, so in business, you, you, uh, what you, the relationship building is a huge asset and you have to, you have to do that. The other thing is actually, you just need to be incredibly patient. I'd been on the board of the chambers of commerce. I'd been, my first board I was on was on the lunar society, right? Which is this old organization where James Watt and Matthew Bolton back in the day used to move and used to meet on a full moon. Uh, to discuss their ideas, right? Okay. So Lunar Society was created, recreated in the 1970s for movers and shakers, uh, to get around the table and to talk about how you progress the city. I was 25 or 26 and I was tasked. I came on board. Um, and I was the youngest by about 45 years. Uh, yeah. and they, they wanted me to help redo their constitution. Um, and what I had to do was be humble enough to say, there are people who have more experience than me who are going to advise me. Uh, but around that table were the Lord Lieutenant were you know, were people who'd been at the top of the business field, etc. And, you know, they, I had, my job was to keep them disciplined, was to chair that meeting to understand, uh, how, you know, I've got a result to get to and how you move, uh, move the darling and get to the result we need to. Uh, and so just being in business is not enough. You have to be able to understand how to, you know, a, if you, if you're able to run a board meeting, if you are able to understand the psychology of the people who are the decision makers, all of a sudden, if you come into politics, that's a great asset. Uh, if you don't understand that, you know, and you go gung-ho and say, well, I've done X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, we are at the, you know, we're at the top of government right now and at the top of politics at the moment. You know, you'd meet, I, you know, in my job, I meet great civil servants. You know, they've got so much experience dealing with things. Um, Even I'm, I have to say, well, actually, let me understand what, where their point of view is. And then obviously I'm the minister. It's, You know, they will give me advice, but it's for me to decide. And I obviously have to think about the politics of things.
2: You say businesses don't want to stick their head above the parapet, but there'll be a feeling in the country right now, and it's seen around the world, particularly in Western society, that big multinational global conglomerates are sticking into political positions Mm. on certain things. Some people call this cultural stuff, others call it many other names. But essentially, big businesses are taking... Positions on certain issues, which has led to the public in some cases calling for boycotts, uh, of certain businesses on whatever side of the argument you're in. It's also leading to some people saying that that brand no longer represents their values. <laughs> Is that the danger for business sticking its head above the parapet in a sense of the more that are willing to do it, then actually p- politically, societally, effectively the relationship that you try and build with customers of a broad base. Also, brand recognition becomes tainted, and therefore you become, oh, you're the Tory business, or you're the Labour business, or you're the whoever. Is that a danger for business? Do you think
1: that's definitely a danger that I think most businesses have to consider for themselves? Right? Um, I clearly took a view that my politics were going to be separate to my business. Uh, so uh, in the referendum, uh, when I was doing stuff at the, you know, people connected me with the Chambers of Commerce. The difference between what I did at the chamber and what the CBI, for example, were doing was the CBI took a very overt stance in terms of what they want to do. I said to the chambers, actually there are businesses in our membership who are uh, pro-Brexit, who uh, there are others who want to remain because they've got relationships. We have to be understanding of both those positions and actually it's better for us to provide the platform uh, uh, and uh, have those discussions and allow people to express those opinions. Um, And that's how I managed my my position uh, at the time but as you say when it comes to when you start putting your head above the parapet clearly there are going to be people who don't agree with you who may then want to for example boycott or or, or take a view and it becomes incredibly um it, you know it basically turns business off from getting involved uh, in politics but the other thing i'd say and i did this as president of the chamber of commerce i'm a big believer that business should be a force for good in society right and you know, uh, the I think Milton Friedman once said, "The business of business is business." Basically, right. Well, what he's basically talking about is you know, uh, don't overcomplicate it. You know, you know, pro- profit doesn't have to be a dirty word. Mm. I, I I would go probably a bit further. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I I I want to be humble enough not to amend Milton Friedman's work, <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that businesses need to recognise that you know they do create jobs. Uh, they do have a place in society. To you know. Uh, if you're developing, you know, I've got, I've got some of the most deprived wards in the country in my constituency, you know, similar to Jonathan's and, uh, you know, I, I encourage businesses regularly to, regularly to go there, get involved, help people shift the dial on skills and get, and create jobs and go to where the issues are, uh, because it really does change, uh, uh, change. The- I've got
0: a question for you, Jonathan. So just, you are making me think about this in terms of, you know, what's, what's a business a of, of force for in growth. So if you're in your constituency of Stoke-on-Trent North, where there is deprivation, it does need investment, then how do you manage that relationship with business? So you're going to need to encourage business to come to your area, right? Do
2: you see that as part of your job? Yeah, no, definitely. So I think that I'm a public sector boy my entire life. I've been a teacher now, I'm a politician, so I've never actually worked in business. So it's been a real eye-opener for me. My dad runs a small independent business. My mum has worked in a variety in accountant as well. Uh, or I don't think they're popular accountants, but you know, they're, uh, they're, um, they're but great it, people, they're great people. Misunderstood. <laughs> but I, um, but look for me, I found that a real learning curve because of course there's a lot of terminology You understand how to engage your business was a real difficulty. Like, do you just write a letter to the CEO of a company and go, I'd love to meet with you. And then some guy goes, why well, some random bloke from Stoke sending me a letter when I was contacting the head of Microsoft or hand contacting the head of, um, other businesses when I was talking about the Silicon Stoke agenda trying to get mm. video games developing in my patch. So I think that was the big learning curve. What I found in my seat is number one, I'm the first conservative. So there was a real kind of tetchiness because ultimately everyone said you're here for one term, so no business wants to tie themselves overtly to me because they think the leadership of the city on the council, as well as the future MPs of the local area will not be politically aligned. So there's certain businesses particularly as we've got closer and closer to the election that I used to see regularly who are no longer asking me to go visit them or so even do are, social media So they are political in that way. So they are being political and I'm, I'm going to do them the, the courtesy of not naming them, but I found it very yeah. frustrating because
1: yeah.
2: I've brought ministers to those businesses that they never had before. I've spoken about those businesses in the chamber. I've done lots of positive communications on their behalf because I think they bring a lot to the community, as Saqib said. Mm. And I felt that they and whilst I wasn't expecting an endorsement, I was expecting at least professional courtesy. There's other businesses that, um, have trade bodies. So keep mentioned the CBI. So with ceramics in Stoke-on-Trent, you have the ceramics confederation. Um, uh, the British now called, uh, uh, British ceramics confederation. who have been recently rebranded ceramics UK. Um, you've got Staffordshire Chamber of Commerce, uh, who are actually very proactive and they do a lot with us. And that's how I've kind of got to meet many of their members or engage in that process. So I think that that's where we've seen the real opportunity, but I'm keen to hear from Sakeeb again because he's talked mm. about business stick the head above the parapet which is obviously a challenge in itself then you've got the fact that a business person like andy like yourself mm. wants to go into mm. politics and the experience that they bring with that what i'm interested to know is when you came into westminster how easy is it to retain those relationships now you're a member of parliament now you're on the other side of the coin is it quite easy because you built them up over a period of time or is there now Mm. a stand-offness because obviously you have to protect yourself as a member of parliament. You've obviously got declarations of interest you have to declare. How easy is that transition to maintaining relationships and obviously therefore access in a positive way in the sense of hearing from what the reality of the decisions we make in this place are on the actual ground?
1: Uh, That's a huge question. Uh, What One thing I'll probably say to you just before that when you were talking about working with businesses, et cetera, that look, when I was chamber president and Asian chamber for four years, main chamber as well, uh, I had relationships with uh, Labour members of parliament because, you know, you covered the Birmingham area. In fact, I didn't mention this, a Labour member of parliament uh, from area uh, who I won't name took me out for a coffee in 2017 and said, I think you should become a member of parliament for the Tories. Uh, because, really? Yeah. and uh, Which is fascinating, right? Because uh, he... I uh, do oh, will probably give away I't
0: know whether to say that as a compliment or
1: <laughs> yeah I was uh, I, I think the point uh, that they were making was that actually you uh, clearly you know you uh, believe in private enterprise and you know your you have conservative values and obviously I was I made it very clear who I was uh in politically speaking uh, and they said actually there are good there are good people needed across the spectrum mm. um uh, and uh, I, the point I think I'm, I'm trying to make here is that actually I had to maintain relationships with uh, everybody because exactly. I, you know, you inherit the political landscape as businesses do, right? So I, I wouldn't go too hard on them for uh, do, doing what they're doing because they have to do that to survive. Uh, but uh, you know, this is a, it's a well, like all things in life, it's a relationship game, uh, and there will be those who will be willing to say, actually, we believe in what you stand for, uh, and they they will support you. To your question about uh, the transition, um, it, you have to remember, of course, in 2020, COVID happened and turned everything upside down. So uh, you know your networks become very stale very quickly, anyway. Um, but um, I look, my priority is it has to be when you're a member of parliament, your priority are your constituents. Therefore, to directly answer your question, any constituent who's got a business, I will support them. I will go talk to them. Uh, it really helps that I understand what a balance sheet looks like. And I, you know, my whole clientele were basically family businesses, husbands and wives, f- fathers and sons, entrepreneurs, right? So for me, uh, I was less concerned with, you know, the big, big company balance sheets or whatever. I understood them. Uh, but I know what, when those, when that husband and wife who, you know, month in, month out, uh, are a struggle to make ends meet, who, uh, think about, uh, their bills, how they, you know, they pay their staff, they're going to pay the supplies, what are they going to take home? Uh, and then they're sat there and you're having to go through the accounts and talk about tax and you're planning for the next 12 months. You know, exactly, um, what, uh, what are the thought, what the thought process is, uh, that they have to go through. Um, for example, business rates, right? You know, when I came in here, I did a report on business rates and there was a consultation going on. It's because every time I sat with a client, after we went through gross profit, business rates for a small business, they, you know, they'd be like, oh, that's killing me. Oh, that's mm. too much for me, you know? And so I I went through that uh, because I'd had those experiences. I knew, you know, you kind of understand what makes a business owner tick. Um And if I'm being very honest, throughout my business career, as I went on the different boards and I did all the other things, that has been a strength for me, uh, because it just meant that I, I, I've seen firsthand what people have to think about. Uh, and you know, if you, for example, if you change a tax and you raise a tax, I I know the conversations I had to have, uh, to, with people, uh, to see how they're going to change the way, uh, they live, how, you know, how they're not going to spend so much money on something because they know that. No, do less like
0: shopping. You know?
1: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do, That's well, what he says to
2: you. That's uh, what just do, 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 uh,
1: well I'm I i can not confirm or deny if I'm your accountant <laughs> or not, but uh if I was James, I'd say do less shopping. Um but the uh the 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 truth is uh they, they have to consider so much. Um and my view is if you're you know if you're an entrepreneur, if you've got a business, you decide, you know, I'm a conservative, I want you to decide. Uh, uh you know, we want to increase make sure you have more money in your pocket. You decide for yourselves what you want to spend it on. You know, I'm a, I'm am very much a libertarian. But let me let me ask you that you've mentioned both
0: mentioned constituents. your mm. First, obviously, constituents, politicians. We're seeing this at the moment with the Labour Party has spent good part of the last year trying to make sure the public know that business is on their side. Business councils. Mm. Rachel Reeves has been all over business. How important do you think that is to the public? Well, that's and that's interesting. So, mm. As two politicians. Uh, been involved in national election campaigns, getting yourselves elected as well locally. How do you, is it important? Do you want to be seen locally as a champion of business? Is that good? Do you want the, and the other question specifically is the endorsement, because that's what, that's what people chase. You know, part, part of my job on Vote Leave was, that's why we spoke so much, was dealing with the businesses. So campaigns want endorsements. Mm. And I remember it's also types. Mm. I remember Dom coming saying to me, the, The jackpot in terms of um, voters is having a local business support the campaign person through a local newspaper, because that's your magic thread of trust. People trust local newspapers more than national, actually, and they trust local business people more than the big businesses.
2: But I'm interested in your two views of people that get elected. Well, you've got to think about it like this. You've got the situation where you've got Sakeb in what would be traditionally coined as a term, not that he treats it like that, a traditional safe seat, a seat where a Labour or Conservative MP, depending on the type of seat they're in, is expected election after election to win. And you've got a seat like mine, which unexpectedly went Conservative in 2019, is now a target seat. Both parties want to win in order to be in government. And so I think my experience of my seat, is that businesses are much more nervous to look like they're endorsing, even though I do think it's important because ultimately, number one, they don't want to discredit themselves with whoever does maybe win in case they pick back the wrong horse. And, um, but two, there is also the idea that I think they are aware, particularly someone like Stoke, where you've got a lot of family run long term businesses from ceramic manufacturers have been there for hundreds of years. Generations are now working through them. Mm. They don't want to, you know, they understand. Well, I'm not and respect accusing you of being knowledge. a
0: politician, but you haven't actually answered my question. <laughs> My question is about it's you. It's the
2: first time I've, you've ever politely called me a politician. So yes. that means progress must be being progress made at some of perfection, I
0: don't think he's been that polite there, but. <laughs> but, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, in, I mean, we touched on the business side. Yeah. I'm interested in you two. So when we've got, you've got a, we've got a general election this year. You're going to go to the people of Stoke. How important is it for you? Well, I was about, I was about to say, because you've got
2: generations of families and some family run businesses, it will be important. If that business backs, that will have an influence on the shop floor. I've taken, I've been lucky to have visits from two, two three prime ministers now uh, in this uh, five-year term, which is uh, something. What to uh, are we Another called.
0: one before the next election? No, no, definitely not, <laughs> and hope not
2: either. But I've been lucky, and I've seen the impact it's had. Taking Boris round or trying to Liz round steel lights on the shop floor of those local businesses. To see someone like that, and they see day in day out on their television the buzz it creates in the community, and essentially, yeah, it will have an important impact and businesses being keen for those type of visits because it gives them the platform to raise their profile as well as raise any concerns that they have directly in those private meetings that happen behind the scenes um, before or after the visits taking place where you have the media and obviously all the comms teams for whoever surrounding it. So I think it is, I do believe it's important. I don't think it is the overall swayer of people politically, but it could be the difference when someone's on the fence if it's a business that Sakib said is local is trusted is well known those type of businesses are invaluable so there are some big ones or small ones that are invisible to the public there are others that are very emotional that's why stoke with ceramics is so unique mm. that would be a huge endorsement because that's the identity of the city the
0: pottery yeah. there's
2: also the football club and the charity organizations that surround that there's mm. also um you know some that work with local schools on a large scale those would be important mm. but there's also like I'm going to give Neil Woolridge here a shout out, the butchers in Smallthorne. That's probably a shameless attempt to get hmm. an endorsement. Uh, but Neil, for example, is someone who's had his business there. Is that where you get your sausages from? <laughs> you trying to get some free sausages. I'm trying to, I am trying to get a free, free piece <laughs> of gammon. But you know, that's where, uh, that's where you know, those type of businesses would be massive because they're yeah. known long-term family brands. But I do think that there's a long way to go. Again, we talked about the high streets you know, government, of course, shouldn't just be the thing that always bails out, but you need that relationship between the government and the private sector to deliberately choose to invest in places like Stoke, because at the moment, business isn't voluntarily doing it themselves. The government's going to have to bring people to those places to do that. And so for me, in my time as an MP, I've been very frustrated that leveling up funding has been great and town steel fundings are great, but they're short-term hits, they don't necessarily bring lots of private sectors still invest with them because they will look at the health outcomes, they'll look at the education outcomes of that area and still say, that's not the place for me. So the government has still a lot of work to do in those red wall kind of areas in order to build that but relationship on, with business.
0: I think some of your points as well about long-term planning, um, I think, I mean, this is one of the things I think Jeremy Hunt certainly was seeking to address in his mm. um, last budget on the grid. But so long-term planning does bring us a bit to your current brief, mm. key. Yeah. So yeah. you're now minister across tech and AI, effectively digital. Yeah,
1: digit, minister for tech and the digital economy. And the prime
0: minister stated today mm. is for this country to be a, quote, mm. tech superpower by mm. 2030. Mm. So on that, I just thought it would be interesting. Yeah. Touched on business. The connection with your yeah. current role is yeah. exactly that. Yeah. So yeah. tell us a bit more about your current role
1: and how yeah, you're going to achieve that. Uh, look, I mean, the there is a... I'm, I'm I'm probably just going to just respond uh, on 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 Jonathan's point as well because I think you, you as conservatives we have to be clear about where the role of government starts and finishes and where the private sector uh, do their role now I would argue there are lots of things um that where the private sector has to do itself um and that's a very honest uh, relationship that I think the conservatives will have uh with b- the business community and because sometimes it can be challenging it can be you know it can be a uh, it can be a difficult conversation uh, but the, uh, the difference I think I was pointing out was that Labour will promise the world to everyone. Mm. Uh, but the reality is they are going, they, they, they would be, because it's not in their DNA, they'll be a lot, uh, they'll have greater, they'll be more afraid to have that conversation. Uh, so on the high streets, for example, uh, is a great example. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm. Dealing with a situation one of my high streets at the moment, where you know there's a private sector developer who's not developing the area, you know, he's treating the people badly. Um, And actually, I think the uh, ultimately the solution will this, for this will be probably working with the mayor. Uh, there'll be some support uh, in terms of what happens around planning or around business rates planning, etc. Um, uh, and but ultimately, it will be a private sector-led solution. And when I was at the Let Board, for example, we had the most successful enterprise zone uh which was in the center of Birmingham. so when you go to tory party conference around the icc that all uh all that we in the old library that was the old 60s concrete blocks mm. they've all basically gone uh because uh we, we were able to make the argument for future rates uh uh coming in and you know effectively uh putting an investment package together but ultimately that is still a private sector led it was a lep who led on that it was andy street doing that so there are you know the, i think the fundamental difference will be that there is uh there will be private sector uh, um involvement at every a step of the way and we, we will always uh, rely on that. In terms of AI, which mm. kind of nicely develops into the future of whether it's ceramics or uh just the role of innovation, I think, AI over the last year, you know, since basically Chat GPT uh has uh ha- has come to the fore, you know, the the evolution of AI has uh massively accelerated, uh, to the point where the Prime Minister quite rightly saw it as a huge opportunity. Um, and the whole world is seeing it, you know, China is, uh, America is, Europe is, uh, and, uh, as many other countries are, uh, but it also recognized that there is a, uh, great potential for risk as well, but, you know, AI being used badly. So chat GPT is something called a, uh, LLM. This is a large. uh, it's a language language learning model. That's right. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, you know, the newer versions are evolving really quickly. Um, and in that sphere. We have, we had the AI safety summit, uh, mm. which, uh, sadly happened just before I was, uh, appointed. So I never got, got to go to the, uh, to Bletchley. Uh, but we, we were able to bring countries from across the world over and we were able to lead the conversation on what a future, uh, looks like where we're basically, you know, AI will not recognize borders, right? In tech quite often doesn't. Um, and therefore, uh, it will be about making sure we test, uh, you know, future, what we call frontier risk models. Uh, to make sure that those, those worries about people, or that people have around AI are basically allayed. So whether it's, uh, artificial intelligence, you know, becoming self, uh, sentient or it being used for nefarious activities. Um, that's, you know, that's what the AI safety summit will do. And we basically got international backing to do mm. that. Uh, which was a, honestly, it was a huge achievement. I, you know, James, you've been in government doing a, doing a huge, uh, conference like that, getting we did work at the, the World.
0: wildlife summit while I was a deaf. Friend, it yeah, was... I was, yeah. Um, painful experience. Yeah. Great when they happen. Yeah. The build up to them. And was- of course,
1: the, oh, the right. key to this is, uh, legacy, uh, and continuity, basically. Um, and there's a big debate now, uh, around, uh, you know, across the world around what you do in terms of AI and legislating it. And the prime minister's been very clear. Well, we must understand what we're dealing with. Uh, cause there's no point just putting legislation out there and where, Uh, You know the EU have have done so, and I think it's it's a challenge because it's you know AI does not stand still, Mm. and we have to be able to have something that in place that is dynamic. So uh, that's that's a very live conversation.
0: But how how well do you? I think this kind of touches on business as well. How well do you think Westminster MPs and the broader Westminster circle, if Mm. you want to include civil servants etc., how well do you think they actually understand? AI, so that these are the people who are going to legislate on zilch.
1: Well, <laughs> I would argue for me that is look. First of all, in decent, you know, I've uh, I I got a bit, I've been there just under two months now. Yeah, um, and uh, honestly, we are attracting some of the best talent uh, uh, to do that, and I've been really really impressed with. Uh, the the people I've been working with you know mm. uh, and
0: uh, they You're talking about the civil servants you work
1: with. the civil servants who are dealing with the companies who are looking at the frontier models you know all, all that all those kind of things mm. uh they've been really impressive but this is look Parliament's a reflection of society right and we are yeah. uh you know and in this field you definitely see that where there are a lot of people who are trying to understand like yeah. society is where AI is going to take us mm. what you know what are actually the risks are you know are we going to Uh, you know, are we going to see really, really bad things happen because AI is going to, you know, allow those things to happen and whatnot. Uh, and so I think a lot of the time I'm having conversations with colleagues who are trying to understand, uh, exactly that. And so, um, and again, just to the broader bit about the relationship between business and government, this is a pretty good place to look at that because Mm. government's got a role, business has got a role. And actually those businesses that are involved in AI should be a force for good and should be working with government to make sure that we're protecting society. Because I
0: guess, um, whether you talk about AI or anything else, I think I'll speak on personal experience. Mm. When I was particularly at DEFRA, which is obviously you have a very big symbol impact, single impact on businesses at the home office, which is immigration, obviously a hot topic, but it's essentially talent coming in and out of the country from a business perspective. Definitely, you have multiple regulations that impact business. And I think if I look back on government, I'm not sure there's enough thought about, you said this from your experience of being an accountant, you could understand that direct impact of tax that like literally mm. sit down and go, mm. we've got this new thing. This means we can invest more, invest less. I think. I don't know about you, Jonathan, you you know, you you know, not to be critical, you were a teacher, which is a great profession, but didn't have that experience in business is I think, did I always take into account the impact that some of the policies we're doing will have on business? That's not to say I wouldn't do the overall policy, but that's the speed of the policy, the way that you communicate it, the little tweaks you can make. I absolutely think, the things that we did at Defra were right, mm. actually. Even when I look back on them, I think they were the right things to do. But I think in my role, could I have maybe worked more with business to help them understand to make to make the right tweaks? You the,
2: know? Sure, so, no. I think I think politicians. I, I'll talk for myself. I think you definitely end up thinking about the individual more than you do about the impact on business, because ultimately you're dealing with people on a day to day basis, from the emails you receive to the visits you're holding to the surgeries you're having. So you're mainly interacting with individuals business visits are like the sort of cherry on the cake as it were they're the additional mm. things so i think that's where the difference i mean ai i think the, the fascination with that and the interaction with businesses what can ai do to increase productivity i think it's a fascinating you know what's the biggest issue for teachers is workload mm. i say it's my own experience and obviously all the polling all the focus groups shows that from the dfe to mm. trade union bodies can AI suddenly take over marking homework, for example, that would free up a lot of teacher time to actually spend more time with students in small groups to do intensified supportive work so they ensure kids catch up if they've fallen behind, but also to create really good quality lessons as well. That would have a huge impact on that sector, which has a huge outcome on the life chances of young people as well. So I think that's where, again, it's not just government and business, it's the public sector, government and business need to get much better working together in this area because I think that will have such a positive impact. So, final question for you, keep. If in the future, Jonathan into moves it? into business, <laughs> what do you... Why, all, why are you trying to make me more unemployable? What
1: do you rate his, his chances of success as? Uh, look, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, if Jonathan goes he's friends into... friends with me, If Jonathan goes into business, I'm happy to give him some free accounting advice. Do you invest advice. in it? Uh, I'm happy to give him some free accounting advice. Uh, because uh, if I charge him I might become liable uh, for anything he does <laughs> so what you've
2: successfully done is told the <laughs> private sector not to hire me and I think I'm already loved by certain sections of the public sector uh, based on the reactions they get on social media so what you're doing is making sure I'm totally unemployable
0: well if, if nothing else you could be a social media manager you do know you trend a lot so you know, that, that's what these brands are I'm sure I'm do. sure
2: all the companies will be really keen for the reasons I trend uh, but yeah no, thank you James for that and and uh, thank you mainly to sakiv as well for thank you coming man. on it was fascinating to hear that journey but also the interaction between business and government and the importance of it and mm. wish you every success with your role and thank you. see uh particularly the ai stuff like i say i'm i know zilch so i might come for some basic powerpoint presentations at dc at some time too but look thank you to everyone who's tuning in and listening thank you as always uh for doing that please however make sure that you leave us a review and you leave us a rating that's super super important Make sure that you hit that subscribe button on however it is that you listen to your pods. And finally, make sure that you go on to X, formerly known as Twitter, and make sure you follow us on at WhitehallPodsUK, where you can interact with us as well. And it's a pleasure, and we'll see you soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you.